0: Right now, it's Barry and Shauna replay from eighty nine point three Moody Radio.
1: I have recently learned that I avoid negative emotions.
2: You just recently learned this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is something you knew about me all along, and you're just holding it out.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I've known this all along. I, I think your
1: you've face ta- is so funny. I
2: think you've talked with me about this.
1: Ah. Uh. Okay. The extent to which I'm learning it. Let me just paint a picture for you. Um, My father went on ahead to heaven on January 1st of this year and I love my dad. We were so tight and he just did an incredible job of expressing his love for me and loving me. And I just felt like I was the most special person on the planet to my dad, which is kind of funny because at his memorial service, like every person that we talked to was like, your dad just made me feel like I was his favorite. And I was like, Oh, dang, I thought I legitimately was his favorite, but maybe that was just dad's thing. I don't know. But there have been times over the last couple of months that I've picked up my phone and I'm searching for a picture or something and I'll come across a picture of my dad. And I'm like, no, 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 nope. We are not going to deal with that right now. And Mm -hmm. I just shut it down. And I refuse to let myself feel the pain of missing my dad. And how I felt you know, with my father being gone is pretty much how I deal with every hurtful feeling or memory in my life. I don't, I don't deal with it. I don't feel it. There's a place for them and it is not today. and is not out in the open. And I'm reading this book right now by Andi Kolber. It's called Try Softer and I'm trying to get Andi on the show. So we're working on that. She's phenomenal. But anyway, there, there's a name for this thing that I do in avoiding my feelings. It's called dissociation. Maybe you already know about this, but I'm learning. So when my emotions are bigger than I feel like I'm capable of handling, I dissociate from them. I just simply deny myself the opportunity to feel at all. And maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've tried to numb your feelings, and you know, numb the pain with alcohol or with shopping or you just try to distract yourself by keeping busy. If I'm just always busy, if I just always have something to do, then I don't have to think about it and I don't have to feel it. And it seems like a good solution, honestly, to not feel the pain until you realize that you can't just Turn this switch off and on and feel when you want to feel and not feel when you don't want to feel. Because when you put up these walls to protect your heart from hurting, they also keep your heart from experiencing joy as well. And this is not how God designed us to live. God sent Jesus to live and die for us so that we could experience abundant life, not, you know, half there, sort of present life, abundant life. James 1, 2 through 2-4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is the part for those of us who dissociate. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here's the thing. You can't become mature if you don't ever have to persevere. And you can't persevere if you don't ever have to suffer. Sorry, guys. It's just here in scripture. I have to shoot straight with you and be honest with you. By avoiding our negative emotions, we're keeping ourselves from growing. This is what I'm doing. So I'm not passing any judgment. There's no shade here. I'm just being honest about what I'm learning.
2: I will use, you know, I will use achieving things, being an achiever. I will use achievement to deal with my negative emotions. On the one hand, but on the other hand, my emotions are so big. I can't ignore them. Mm. They just, they're there. They're real. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I do know how I can compartmentalize them in a sense. You know, I can really focus in on the task that I'm doing. I guess that's how I do it. But yeah. but for the most part, my emotions are so big. I can't, they're saying, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, you, wake Pay up, attention. you. This hurts. This hurts. Yeah. This hurts. Yeah, it does. Shut up.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so funny because the way that I operate is so the opposite of that. I'm like, I just put my you know car on the tracks and I just go. And when somebody asks me how I'm feeling, I'm like, hmm. I don't know how I feel. Like I have to think about that. I have to sit with that. I have to ask the question and kind of try to discover how I feel.
2: Got to get the chart out, you know, of all the feelings.
1: Yeah. Right. I do. I need a chart. That would be so helpful. If I don't write it out, if I don't journal, I usually don't know what I'm feeling, but I was, I do journal quite a bit. I do it when I'm doing my devotions and I have this devotional, it's called Jesus calling. If you've never heard of it, I really, really do like it. It says it's written as though Jesus is speaking directly to you. And it says, The other day as I read it, do not try to run from pain or hide from problems. Instead, accept adversity in my name, offering it up to me for my purposes. Thus, your suffering gains meaning. Your suffering gains meaning and draws you closer to me. Joy emerges from the ashes of adversity through your trust and thankfulness.
2: I know that that's how I've grown the most in my life is through the hardships and through the suffering And I don't know any believer who has depth in their life who hasn't suffered. And you have depth in your life, Shauna, because you've gone through some hard things. You've shared a lot of those hard things. And that's how we we end up going deep in our faith is through suffering. It's not about reading a bunch of books. That's a really great thing. I read a lot of books. No, I don't read a lot of books. I read a few really good books a lot of times. Mm Mm-hmm and I grow through them, but it's been the hardships and the sufferings and the pain, the unwanted pain, that is, if I have any depth in my life, that's why. Mm -hmm. That's why.
1: Yeah, God's got a plan for us in the suffering, in the persevering. He's doing something. So if there's something in your life right now that you are avoiding, please know that God wants to help you with that. He can absolutely handle the hard stuff. He'll stay with you as you let yourself feel it. And I know that sounds... Maybe scary, it does to me. but God's not going to walk away from you. He's going to hold you and He's going to comfort you, and through your suffering'll we'll teach you perseverance, my friend. And through your persevering is maturing you so that you may be complete, lacking nothing.
2: I want to know what it looks like to love. Don't give me a math equation. Paint me a picture of what love looks like. Mark Job is president of Moody Bible in Chicago and the Bible teacher on Bold Steps at noon here on 89.3. Mark's parents didn't grow up in Christian families, but Jesus' love crashed into them when they were in their teens and they caught fire with his love. They got married and decided to live outside of america in some far-flung places taking mark along sharing jesus love with people who had never had a chance to experience it and love looks a lot like mark's dad in
0: 1995 my father fell ill he was 60 years old my brother and i flew from the u.s to go see him two weeks later he died while he was in the hospital though i i had some great times to talk to my father he'd always been strong and healthy and very active and energetic and he was waiting for a heart transplant and I'll never forget talking to him one day him and I were alone in the hospital room and he was bemoaning a little bit the fact that he wished that he would have had more time to accomplish more for God never forget he said "I, I just wish I would have done more for God I wish I would have accomplished more for God He had started a small church in Chile, several small churches in Spain, which was a very hard place to start churches. And I said, are you kidding me, dad? The lives that you've touched, the people you've ministered to, most people would wish they would have been able to do what you did. Then I got a phone call that he had passed away. Now in Spain, they don't embalm so they have to bury people within 24 hours. So he passed away on a Sunday. We buried him on a Monday in a different city. I remember arriving at that cemetery. I expected only a few people to show up because it's 24 hours and it just all happened really fast. And so I showed up and I thought, well, they must be burying a dignitary because the parking lot's packed out at the cemetery. I walked in, I thought, well, something special's going around. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people there. To my surprise, I found out they were there for my father. Some people had driven all night to get there from various parts of Spain. Some people had come from a couple other countries to be there overnight. I started mingling in the crowd, just kind of amazed that so many people showed up. I had people coming up to me when they found out I was his son. And one lady came up and she said, your father... He was like a father to me. I couldn't open up to anybody else but your dad. He understood me, and I talked to him and shared things that I'd never shared with anybody else. And I said, so do you go to the church? He said, no, no, I'm a bank teller. (laughs) The bank teller? Having these conversations at the bank, person after person approached me and said, your dad, he spoke to me. Your dad, men, your dad was like a father to me. And over and over, people with tears in their eyes telling me, Drug addicts, hey, your dad, he helped me get off drugs. When I got on the plane to fly back to the US, I realized that it wasn't because of extraordinary gifts. It wasn't because of a big ministry. It wasn't because of the platform. It was because he loved people. The extraordinary gift of loving God and loving others. You know, I got on that plane. And I said, God, I don't love people like my dad loved people. I know I don't. And I prayed, God, give me a fresh baptism of love. I need to love more. Because when all is said and done, it's really about loving God and loving others. When I stand before God one day, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you preached to thousands, not because you had a radio program, not because you wrote a book, not because you did this, because none of that really, I don't think God's going to keep track of any of that. I don't think God really cares, to be honest with you. I think God is going to say, my son, did you love? Did you love? Because if you're full of me, you're full of love. And if you haven't loved, nothing that you did on earth really counts for much.
2: Mark Job, the president of Moody Bible Institute, so all these people were coming up to Mark at his dad's funeral and saying, This is what your dad did for me. This is what your dad did for me. And and none of them was, Well, your dad preached a sermon. Right. And that changed my life. It was experiences in real life, you mm-hmm. know, just at the bank, you know, working with a, a drug addict one-on-one, none of these things were upfront things mm-hmm. from what I can tell.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the case. And yet this guy had broad reach, incredible broad reach. What a great reminder to all of us to to love in a way that points other people to Jesus.
2: And it just shows you and me that you don't need to be on staff at a church. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be a pastor to make a change in people's lives. I mean, just be like Mark Jobs' dad. Uh, You know, live out your faith in the course of your life, in the course of your day, and you will make a difference in people's lives. And I was thinking about this as I was listening to Mark share that story. What does it take to leave a legacy like that? Mm. It takes 10,000 acts of unnoticed kindness. It's the things that we do when nobody's looking. Cuz for me every time people are looking at me or listening to me on this platform or another, it's easier to spiritually perform. Sure. You know?
1: Yeah. That's a scary term. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. I mean, yeah, you're we're more likely. We're all more likely to do the right thing, to do what God would want us to do when other people can see what we're doing. But my way of saying, you know, what you had said was like Tuesday at two o'clock, you know, mm-hmm. that when nobody's looking, it's just an average day and you're going about life and you're doing your thing and it's not a platform moment. It's it's not a microphoned moment.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just you and Jesus. Yeah. And it matters what is happening then.
2: Yeah. And I think that as we, as we reach out to people in unnoticed ways and, and love people in unnoticed ways. When we do get a platform, I think it makes us more authentic Mm -hmm. because, because we're living it out, you know, when nobody notices, especially if we don't, you know, talk about, Oh, here's what I did when I was unnoticed, which Mm -hmm. then it becomes noticed. (laughs) Right. I mean, sometimes we need to let the light shine. I, I get that stuff, but I'm just for me. So for me, it comes down to what am I doing for others when no one's looking And am I tempted to tell others what I'm doing when no one's looking? What am I doing that no one but God will ever know about? I want to be like Mark's dad.
1: Well, I don't know about you, but when things get hard, I just want to quit. (laughs) When things get hard and they're hard for a very long time, I start to question whether I'm going to make it or not. I don't know if this this resonates with you or not, but.
2: Yeah, I remember back in college when I went on my first five mile run because it was, we were getting ready for the basketball season. I was a freshman, it was conditioning and I had never run five miles before and I hit the wall on the backside of that run and I did not think I was going to make it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I finished. I guess I kept putting one foot in front of the other, but what that taught me is that it taught me that there are going to be times in life as an adult that I'm going to experience those hit-the-wall moments, and yeah. I feel like quitting.
1: Yeah, I get it, man. And long-suffering. I mean, when you, when you hit something hard, and it's hard, that's one thing. But when you hit something hard, and it just continues to be hard, and it's a longer season than what you thought it was going to be, it's hard to keep going. James, Jesus' half-brother, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And in this letter that he wrote to the 12 tribes, he encourages them to stay the course when it gets hard. And he even goes further to say that they can actually have joy, that they can experience this settled peace within them during the tough times because God's changing them for the better through the hard stuff. And he's saying that the hardships are actually opportunities, opportunities to grow spiritually that God's working out his purpose in the hard times. This is what he wrote. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And the message version of the Bible describes life's pressures as a gift. It says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Man, Are the hardships that you're going through right now forcing your faith life into the open? Are you finding out what your true colors are?
2: I find that hardships and suffering have a purifying effect in my life because the suffering, the hardship does bring out of me the junk that's in there. Mm -hmm. But because of the Holy Spirit, I'm being purified in that process as well. And so I think that's, that's why I consider sufferings, hardships, tough things, Pure joy because the Lord's purifying me. So it's not just I'm confessing my sins and repeat, you know, Mm -hmm. confess, repeat, confess, repeat. But there's also this purifying that's going on through the hardship.
1: Right. The road of sanctification, right?
2: Yeah. Big word there.
1: Yeah. The Passion Translation says, When it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. This is what you were talking about, Pairing. You know, if what's being forced out into the open isn't good, then you've got an invaluable opportunity. So don't beat yourself up over it. Nothing benefits from you beating yourself up other than you end up bruised. So (laughs) don't do that. But just surrender it to God and let him teach you his way. And I wonder what would happen if we just shifted from seeing our hardship, uh, you know, as an obstacle, if we shifted to seeing it as embracing it as a gift that this is an opportunity to know God better and to rely on him more and to become more like him.
2: You know, I have talked about this before, but the first, first part of the year I went through a lot of depression. I had way more depression days than I've probably ever had in a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the, lo- the longest time, you know, for the first, I don't know, few weeks, I got to figure this out, got to get out of this. And, but, you know, it didn't go away and it had to do with some medicine that I was taking and eventually I figured it out. But it was a good, I don't know, five, six months. And I learned that, you know, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of, of the depression. I don't have to be afraid of having a, a bad day or not feeling that great. I don't get my identity from my health It showed me that. And, mm. and so it just, when you go through, when you go through something that lasts quite a long time, it gives you an opportunity to sort of settle into it and see what God is doing and get his perspective Mm -hmm. in it. And that's what I learned.
1: That's good perspective. Yeah. So I know that this is hard, what you're going through right now. If you're going through long suffering or even it's just that you just got bad news and you're just in the middle of something really hard, I know it's hard and I know you want it to be over. I can totally relate to that, but don't give up. You are going to make it. Yep. Keep your eyes on God and keep talking to Him through it. God's making you stronger. He's actually making you more like Him.
2: Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this to love your enemies. Zara, a Muslim in the Middle East, had been studying God's Word with a Jesus follower. During that time, Jesus met Zara in a dream and she started following Him. She faced strong persecution in her Muslim village, but the worst came from her husband. Her husband Tarif would pull her across the floor by her hair, cursing her and cursing Jesus. It was a winter evening and Zara was singing praises to Jesus. Tarif threw her out of the house into the snow. Yet even in the cold, Jesus so filled Zara's heart with joy that she kept singing as she looked for a place to stay. After a few days with a neighbor, Tarif let her return, but his abuse continued. Then one night, Tarif woke in a panic. He was paralyzed. Two nights later, Jesus showed Tarif in a dream that he was being disciplined for abusing Zara and cursing Jesus. So when he woke, Tarif repented and asked his bride to pray for him. God healed Tarif, and now he's following Jesus, and his marriage with his wife Zara has been restored. What amazes me about this story is how Zara handled the persecution even before her husband had been disciplined by God. She had every right to hate the people in her village and especially to hate her husband. But the message of the cross had changed her and had empowered her to love in the face of being hated and abused. Mm. That's because the cross humbles us. It shows me the hate and all the other junk in my own heart And the mess in my heart, it shows me that my sin is so deep that Jesus had to die. But the cross lifts us up to the sky because in the cross, the Father says to us, this is how much you are worth to me. I gave up my son. And the son says, this is how much you are worth to me. I died for you. Mm -hmm. And so when people are cruel, I can be humble because I know that's what's in my heart. And when people are hateful, I can think about how much they are worth to God because I know how much I'm worth to God. Mm -hmm. So the cross is the great equalizer in our relationships.
1: And the majority of the time, those behaviors are coming from somebody who does not know how loved they are.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? so to recognize, okay, there's, it's, it seems so the opposite when somebody is misbehaving, you know, we want (laughs) to, we want to lash out at them, but it's, and it seems so, counterintuitive to recognize, ah, this person doesn't know that they're loved.
2: Yeah. At the same time, you know, God will show me things in my heart that are just there because there's sin still in me. You know, I'm in this battle with sin in my heart, with motives and, and thoughts and desires. And, you know, it's the sin underneath the sin. It's, it's jealousy. It's it's malice. It's hatred. It's It's pride. It's selfishness. I know I'm loved by God and maybe if I knew how perfectly loved I am, those things wouldn't be there. Oh, another angel got its wings. <laughs> but I don't think so. I think that I think that there's this battle between sin and the spirit in me. And so I know that that I'm still there there's still junk in me. And and the cross tells me that's why Jesus had to die. Mm-hmm. But the cross tells me, you know this is how much you're loved as well. Right. So so I can identify with knowing I'm loved by God and still having that stuff in my heart. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm taken aback by her grace because here she's being abused by her husband, you know, for her love of God. But after two days, sounds like two days of being paralyzed and he repented of his sin, he asked her to pray for him. Mm-hmm. And she did.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of Job. You know, at the end of Job, Job prays for his friends who kept throwing him under the bus saying, Job, it's because of your sin that you're suffering. You know, repent, you're a wicked person. And, you know, Job was a sinner, but it wasn't his sin that was causing him to suffer. And so he prayed for his friends. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So that's what Zara reminds me of, you know, like Job praying for his friends. And of course, Jesus, you know, when he was being raised up on the cross, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. So it's, it's a beautiful story of how the cross makes, makes a difference. And I just ask you, Lord, to open the eyes of my heart. Let me see again that I'm so messed up that you had to die for me. And thank you for recently just showing me that again and help me see again that I am so valuable to you that you were willing to die for me and then help me to do what's impossible on my own help me to love those who don't who don't love me back to love even my enemies please someone help me find the answer she's a muslim woman i don't know her name or where she's from but i saw her question on an islamic teachers website and she writes I am a Muslim married woman born in a Muslim family, but I was not much aware of Islamic rules. I committed many grave sins. I feel like I am the worst person in the world. Now I'm trying to gain knowledge about my great religion to obey its rulings, but I don't feel any peace and rest in my heart. How can I know that Allah has forgiven me? What good deed can I do so that the piles of my grave sins are wiped out? I can't sleep well. I can't rest, can't find any joy. I am always crying. I know when I die, I will face Allah and that he will question me about my sins. I don't have anything to tell him. Oh, Allah, tell me how to be free of all my sins. Oh, Allah, show me your mercy. Mm -hmm. And obviously my heart just goes out to this woman and I just ask you to pray for her and there's so many like her. But when we're trying to get God's favor through our performance we never know if good enough is good enough we never know how much good we have to do and and I understand I'm not a Islamic scholar but I understand that Muhammad even said I don't know if I'm going to make it mm. you know wow. so it's it's heartbreaking especially when you know this this person she doesn't have any access to the gospel she probably lives in a muslim country where there's very little access to the gospel. The good news is that more people are, are going to those places and, and that there's more stuff available you know on social media online that can be found and and the Lord's hand is not too short to reach this this woman and people like her.
1: Yeah and we can pray that He does reach her and people like her. And when, even as I say that though, you know there are people who are praying for someone that's in our circle that God would somehow reach them, you know? And we can, we can pray that people that we don't know and people on other parts of the world have the opportunity to hear the gospel, but we're also carriers of the gospel. So I think it's important to keep our radar up for opportunities and moments to, to share the gospel, to be in relationship with people who don't know him. I'm being challenged really, really big time right now. It's coming at me from a couple of different angles to pray for people who are unsaved, Mm -hmm. And just leaning into that. So what I've done is I've just set an alarm on my phone for one o'clock every day. And at one o'clock, I pray for one minute for one person who doesn't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's changed the way that I interact with people. Because now when I come across the person, you know, one of those names of the people that I'm praying for at one o'clock, when I'm with them, I'm more ready. Mm -hmm. You know, if God, what do you want to do? Do you, if you want to use me in this moment, I'm open to be used by you.
2: Yeah. So we can be an answer to prayer with somebody close to us. That's what I hear you saying. And then as we pray for somebody in some far flung place, we're probably praying for somebody that could reach that person that we're praying for. So Lord use us as answers to prayer, somebody else's prayers for somebody around us and Lord use somebody else, wherever this, this woman wrote from wherever she lives if she still hasn't found the answer, Lord, reach her. And Jesus, just at the end of the day, you need to reveal yourself to anyone who who needs you. And that comes in so many different ways, obviously through your word, but it can happen through a dream, a vision, a chance meeting. Lord, do whatever it takes to reach people who don't understand the gospel, who've never heard the gospel, or who have just pushed it away for some reason.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.